Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be at in just a minute. We are in a series through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it feels weird saying that because it's been so long since we have been, it feels like at least. Last week, we had to take some time off, and so we are back in it today, going through the Sermon on the Mount, and today, we're looking at Jesus' teaching on retaliation. Retaliation, something that we are all sanctified in and really need no um, guidance on. Amen? Not very many amens. All right, well then I guess we should read it. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38, we're going to go through verse 42. This is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. and Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. It's not an easy text to work through, certainly not to apply, but we're going to consider what it has say to us this morning. If we widen out our view, and we're not just looking at verses 38 through 42, we kind of broaden the lens a little bit, we can see that Jesus' bigger point, at least from last time and, and this time, is that we ought to be thoughtful and self-controlled. Do you see this? The, the text just before the one I, I just read, we're going to be looking at today, the one on oaths. We looked, we looked at last time how we shouldn't be careless with our words. We shouldn't be flippant with the promises and commitments that we make. We shouldn't give empty promises, empty oaths. Rather, we should be thoughtful and calculated in what we say. And this passage here, just on the heels of what we previously read, we're learning today that we shouldn't be careless with our actions. That we shouldn't be flippant with our actions, and rather, when we see red, we want to act quickly, we need to be self-controlled and calculated as Christ would be. Bigger lens is that we should be thoughtful and self-controlled both in words and in deeds. But if we really just hone in on this one passage today, looking at the second one, that's verses 38 through 42. We're going to consider how we should physically respond to being wronged. I remember whenever I was in high school, I was driving to uh, Platte City. I lived in Smithville at the time, and I would drive at 3.30 or 4 in the morning to lifeguard before school, and I would drive back and go to school, and uh, so I would lifeguard really early in the morning when the YMCA would first open, and uh, I remember I was driving the speed limit on 92 Highway, and it's hills, it's not a dangerous road to pass on, but I was driving the speed limit, and didn't want to hit any deer, and I remember one guy just flew up on me, and he just, 
turned on his brights, and he didn't, he didn't just, like, flash him, you know what I mean? Like, that's the courteous thing to do. Like, you, I don't know. But he just turned him on and left him on. And, you know, that, you're trying to squint, and you, you, you move your rearview mirror to where it's not blinding you the whole time, and it got annoying. And so I just, like, all right. And so I slowed down to, like, literally three miles an hour on 92 Highway. And we're just, like, going up this hill. And I was like, I've got time. <laughs> that's fine. And uh, I remember he was trying to go around me, and... And I, I wouldn't let him get around me. Anyone ever do that before? And finally, I did just so that I could turn my brights on him and leave him on. And uh, then he slammed on his brake, got out of his car. And I was like, oh, man, this is more than I was expecting. Um, so I, I tell that story, maybe because it's a little relatable. Maybe you've done similar things. And introspection. And may we bear all of that as we consider this passage saying, don't retaliate. Don't be that person. Be self-controlled. This is the hard text to work through because it's so natural within our bones to fight back. If we go to the text, look at verse 38. Jesus references in a, a commonly known law. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Equal payment, right? And he's not wrong. What he quotes there in verse 38 is originally found in Exodus 21. He's just quoting the law. Exodus 21 verse 23 says, But if there is harm, this is Moses reciting the word of God from Mount Sinai to, he'll be be reciting it to the people of Israel later on. And he says, But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn. Wound for wound, stripe for stripe. What he's saying, whatever you receive, they should get. So he's just referring to that law in verse 38. But then if you go back to the passage that we're currently looking at, he, he gives a new command, doesn't he? In verse 39, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. Why would he give a new command? The old one was from God too. Why does Jesus feel the need to give a new spin on what they've been living by? God gave it to them for a reason. Why the new instruction? Well, It's not because he denied justice. It is not because he denies the Old Testament principle of fair consequences. That is not why. Jesus does, in fact, affirm fair justice. In the courtroom, if the law is broken, you should face a fitting penalty in court. Jesus would affirm that. That's why when he was accused, he stood before Pilate. Right? Jesus affirms the justice system. He subjected himself to justice. So he certainly affirms justice in the courtroom. He affirms fair justice by divine judgment. If you sin, you you deserve the wrath of God. Jesus wouldn't deny that justice. In fact, that's the exact reason why he went to the cross, isn't it? That he went to the cross. He hung on the cross Because just wiping your sin under the carpet 
wouldn't work for Jesus. You can't, he doesn't just ignore my sin and your sin. It has to be dealt with. Can't just look the other way. He refuses to look the other way. Justice has to be served. And so he bore our sins. The divine wrath of God. So Jesus certainly affirms justice. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Why the new instruction? It's because he never wanted retaliation to be in our own hands. He affirms justice, but he never wanted retaliation to be in our own hands, fighting our fights, winning our own justice. You see, that Exodus passage, Exodus 21, and it's also in Deuteronomy, that Exodus law was made for civil courts so that as Israel was a theocracy, a government ran by God, they would have fair law and order. He was setting up a government for these people, and so this law, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, burn for burn, wound for wound, was setting up a court system that people would be subject to. God wanted law and order in his government with Israel. But people took this government law and applied it to personal offenses. They took it as a ticket for personal revenge. That's not the original setting the law was made in. Do you see the difference? I think it really reveals something about you and I in our hearts and in their hearts at the time. They were supposed to be gracious people. But they took this law and put it in the personal realm and now they become malicious people. Vindictive people. They're supposed to be merciful, but they're vengeful. They're supposed to be self-giving, but now they're self-defensive. That's what happens when you twist the word of God for your benefit. And this isn't foreign to us. That's what they did, but you and I aren't off the hook, are we? We do this same thing all the time. This concept is not foreign. You and I can spot the personality because we might have that personality. You ever thought to yourself or said out loud, oh, I dare you? Why? Why would you say that? Because what they're going to do, you're going to return it, right? I dare you. Try it's the tough guy personality which says, I'd like to see him try. Or, or maybe this one. Oh, if he would have done that to me, it'd be the last time he ever. You know what I'm talking about? And we even train our children to do this too, don't we? It's not only that you and I would do this, but we actually train our children to be that way as well. Maybe you've taught your children, don't you ever start a fight, but you better not, or but you better finish it, right? You don't start a fight, but you better finish it. We smirk, but we only smirk because that's us, and hopefully that smirk is a smirk of conviction. Because Christ would say something about how we are living and how we're teaching our children. This whole cowboy cleaning up the streets routine is not biblical. In fact, it's the opposite of Christ's example, isn't it? 
Could you imagine when, when the, the guards come to him in the garden of Gethsemane, and, they, and, and he just says, oh, I'd like to see them try. I'm the son of God. Give it your best. Could you imagine Jesus saying that? So, just side note, this means we really need to reevaluate what true manliness is, because I think the culture has a distorted view of manliness, and we've adopted it. What does it mean to be a man? Is it just to be the tougher guy that finishes the fight? Or is it to be the tougher man that doesn't fight? Understanding biblical justice. Biblical justice. What is just? Has everything to do with where justice is served. Consider that. Has everything to do with where justice is served. Remember, Christ affirms justice in the right settings. Justice shouldn't be in the back alleyway or the school lunchroom or behind a keyboard on Facebook. Right? That's not where justice should be served. In fact, we should trust God to avenge our wrongs, to act out justice on our behalf, to fight our battles and to bring justice in our situations. We trust God to. Romans 12, 19 talks about this. Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Maybe just highlight that in your Bible. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we have to remember that. That's why Jesus gives this new instruction in verse 39. And so, as we trust God's vengeance in our lives, and we don't take justice into our own hands in the back alleyway or in the lunchroom or on Facebook, as we trust His vengeance, Him to defend us, Him to rectify our our situations, Him to protect our reputation. Oh, how many times we want to protect our reputations. As we trust Him... We don't fight back. And Christ mentions three instances where we're most offended, where we see red quickest. When we're physically hurt, verse 39. When our things are taken from us, verse 40. And when we're taken advantage of, verse 41. I want to walk through all three of those situations. Firstly, when we're physically wronged. Verse 39, he says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, could you just imagine that? They slap you across the face. Turn to him the other one also. And remember, when we read this passage, it can't be far from our mind that Christ is the perfect model here, isn't he? He was falsely accused. And he remained silent. He was misrepresented. He was slandered. And he prayed for them. He was spit on. His beard was pulled. His clothes were stolen. He was whipped. And he was stabbed with stakes. And what did he do but die to meet their greatest need? He loved them. Christ is the perfect model of this unbelievably hard passage. And so we are called to go and do likewise, aren't we? Listen to Paul's words 
in Romans 12, we go back to the chapter I just read from earlier, and I'm just going to read a few of the verses here. In verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Verse 17, repay no evil, or no one evil for evil. So that's if they slap you, slap them back. No, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Christ did. We ought to as well. And so if we go back to this passage, Matthew 5.39, we're looking at it. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. I want to say we have to be very careful here. This is one of those easy to misapply passages. There's a handful of them. There's quite a bit of them in Scripture, and this is one of them. Easy to misapply passages. Others could be the, um, a lot of people will take the, the wives submit passage, and uh, they'll point to that, and they'll forget the husband's love, your bride like Christ gave himself and died for her passage, right? That's an abuse of scripture. That's taking one side of the coin and forgetting the other side of it. The uh, people will take Matthew 7, 1, judge not. And they'll take that to say, see, we shouldn't call out sin. Don't call out my sin. Bible says judge not. Where really, the Bible says in Matthew 18 that the church should call out sin and purge the evil from within. But we just would like to look at Matthew 7, 1, <laughs> judge not. <laughs> that feels a lot better. There's a lot of easy to misapply scriptures. And this verse here, Matthew 5, 39, is one of those. If you isolate it, you can misuse it which leads to so much, so much unnecessary and possibly unintended hurt in your life or other people's lives. The stakes are high with abusing or misusing this passage, whether intentionally or not. This passage, verse 39, put it on record, write it in your Bible, this does not support or endorse or allow for abusive actions or domestic violence. It doesn't. Not even a hint of it. Consider what Scripture has to say in the full picture when this verse isn't isolated by itself. Proverbs 27 verse 12 says, The prudent, or that's the wise person, sees danger, and hides himself. The simple, or the synonym would be foolish person, go on and they suffer for it. He's saying it's wise to get yourself out of harm's way. Acts chapter 9, if you were to turn there, I'm not going to have it on the screen, but in Acts chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, Paul rightly not sheepishly, not cowardly, he rightly flees from danger. 
So don't have a martyrdom complex that you just have to mar- be martyred and hurt just because. Paul didn't. And even Jesus, who died on the cross. Luke chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, show us that he also fled from his attackers. Think about that. Yes, there was a time when Jesus accepted and subjected himself to pain and harm's way. But there were also other times where Jesus fled from it if it was unnecessary. Okay? So, for us, for you, for your friend who's maybe in that relationship, hear these words, please. On one side of the coin, yes, we should be willing to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel, yes. If necessary, and if it's for the gospel, endure the suffering. 2 Timothy 2, you can go there, verses 3 and 4, talk about that. But this does not mean that we need to endure senseless suffering because of an evil spouse. You heard that. God does not desire nor demand you to submit to harmful abuse. So if that's you, if you're in that circumstance, can I just tell you, you need to, first of all, flee from that situation. Go somewhere safe. Tell someone, myself, Pastor Trent, the deacons, we have multiple deacons here, whoever you're comfortable sharing with, but you need to tell somebody if that's you and if you're in that circumstance. You don't have to submit to it And stay there in that unsafe place just because, well, if they slap me across the face, I need to give them the other cheek also. That is not what this verse is telling you to do. If someone is hurting you, and especially if they're using this verse wrongly to tell you that you must stay, firstly, there is judgment coming for them and abusing you and the word of God. Secondly, hear me, they are just so wrong. They are so wrong. You are biblically supported and in fact encouraged to leave for a time at least to care for yourself. So, so if we're looking then at Matthew 5.39, what is it saying then? How can we make sense of this? And I'll put it on the screen, the point I'm about to make, so that you can see it and maybe it'll help you digest it a little bit. Jesus has no problem with being proactive. Jesus has a problem with being reactive in a sinful way. What am I saying? Well, Jesus has no problem with being proactive. You should remove yourselves from a harmful situation. Proverbs 27, 12. It's prudent to see harm and flee from it. No problem with being proactive. Jesus' grief or beef with something is being reactive in a sinful way. Two wrongs don't make a right. Getting slapped doesn't give you permission to slap back. So that is what Jesus is talking about, being reactive in a sinful way. So we need to trust God's vengeance when we are physically wronged. God will bring vengeance on them. You don't have to. But then also we need to trust God's vengeance when you're materialistically wronged, when they steal from you, when they take something from you. You get ripped off. Verse 40. 
says, if anyone would sue you, would take your tunic. And the, the assumption there is that it's wrongful, that it's not a just action, that they wrongfully sue you and they take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Trust God's vengeance when you are materialistically wronged. And while you're looking down at the text, continue looking at it and just go down to verse 42. It's really a, a similar passage. Give to the one who begs from you. Okay, so he just wants to take your things. Let him take your things. It's, it's, it's that materialistic, my possessions situation. This, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. If they're going to take it from you, let him take it. If they don't ever give it back, well, they don't ever give it back. This is kind of the concept here in verses 40 and verse 42. Like physical harm, the one we were reading there in verse 39. This verse requires great care so that we don't misuse it. Okay? A, uh, a firing from the hip application leads to very poor aim with theological accuracy, okay? So don't just read this real quick and then fire from the hip in application. You need to really think about what this is saying so that you don't go way off and miss the target on what Jesus is really wanting you to understand here, okay? On the one hand, yes, we want to be a generous people, amen? We want to be generous with our things. We want to be liberal as we give to people, as we see needs, we want to be quick to give even to our own inconvenience. That's the hard part. It's like, oh, I would really like to have this. And actually, I have use for this. But you want it to. Right? So we, want, we need to be generous people even to our inconvenience. Acts 20, verse 35 says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 1 John, in chapter 3, verse 17, he actually asks a question, and it says, If anyone who has the world's goods, but he doesn't help his brother, is the love of God in him? Luke 12, 33, Jesus gives a commandment to sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. Later, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're currently in, if you just get to chapter 6, verse 2, he says, when you give to the poor. Notice he doesn't say, if you give to the poor. When you give to the poor. And so, and so all of this is to say, we are to be excessively generous. But this is not the whole picture given in Scripture. That's not the only guideline to follow when it comes to being a steward of your things. To be thoughtlessly generous is actually not Christian generosity. Christian generosity is not thoughtless generosity. Think about that. The other side of the coin is that we need to be thoughtful with our things, with our generosity as we give, so to not enable people. Think about that. Paul actually speaks bluntly about people who abuse kindness and the generosity of the church. He actually deals with that situation, somebody who would abuse the church's generosity and kindness. 
really sapping everyone dry. You know that person? Paul talks about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's kind of long, but I, I think it's worth reading for context. He says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle or lazy when you were with us, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right. He's saying, it's not that we didn't have the right to ask for other people to pay for it, to cover our lunch. He was an apostle. He did have the right to do that. But to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. That's why he didn't. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness or laziness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. We won't linger on that, but as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. So let's get the whole picture here. We must respect and balance these two truths. On the one hand, yes, we must be mindful to not enable laziness, right? Please consider this. Your generosity can cripple their responsibility. Don't cripple them. Your generosity can cripple their responsibility. And so my suggestion, I guess, is if, if there's somebody in the community that you want to give to and, and be a blessing to, it, it might be wise to come to me or Pastor Trent or one of the deacons because we might have a little bit of knowledge of the situation, what's going on in their lives, and we might be able to shine some light into that situation uh, and help you discern whether it's good to give to that individual or not. But we need to be mindful not to enable laziness. On, on the other hand, though, what this passage is saying is that we need to try to be abundantly generous like our Savior is. Just think about it. Christ shared the riches of heaven with you and I by personally taking on poverty by coming to be in our home here. He took on poverty so that we could have riches. He was abundantly generous and he didn't have to do that. So, trust God's vengeance when you are physically wronged. Trust God's vengeance when you are materialistically wronged. Let them have it. Be generous. Thirdly, Trust God's vengeance when you're willing to help, but you're taken advantage of when you do. You ever been there? Doesn't feel good. Verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. 
Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Looking at verse 41 specifically, if he forced you to go one mile, go with him two miles. I need to give a little bit of cultural context for this to make any sense in our day and age. At the time, the law stipulated that Roman soldiers, as they would be walking from one place to another, they have a lot of uh, armor, they have their bags, they're going all these different places. The law stipulated that they could pick anybody in any crowd and say, carry my things. And the law stipulated you had to carry it one mile. And so, in fact, actually, there's historic records where people would literally count their steps, knowing how many steps they could do in one mile, because they didn't want to do one step more than they needed to. That's in history's records. That was just the law. You had to do it, or you'd be punished by the law. So that's what he's talking about. If anyone forces you to go one mile, he says, go two, and don't say a word about it. See what they do. Could you, I mean, just imagine that. A soldier says, hey, you, take my armor grab my bags, I need you to carry it, I need to rest. Like, okay. And they see you counting, and when you get to that last step, you don't say a word, you just take the next step. And they're like, oh, maybe he miscounted a few. You take 50 more, they're like, he's really a bad counter. And you take 100 more, and like, what is happening? I just want to give generously. I know you're going to take advantage of me and, and, and use me, and I'm willing to give you more than you actually are going to ask from me. Could you imagine displaying Christ in that? Some might think this shows weakness, that you're a pushover, that you're sheepish, that you're timid, that you just like to serve as a doormat for people. You hear me? That is not the case. In fact, this shows great strength, that you would restrain yourself like Christ. And it shows great generosity like that of Christ. You see, we display Christ when we go beyond what we have to do and we willingly do what we can do. I'll tell you, start, last night we had all the deacons and their families over for dinner and um, I walked in there at one point uh, checking on the kids. There was like 10 kids in Judah's room playing and Chuck and I and, and I and walked in there to check on them and, and it was just like a tornado went off. I mean, toys everywhere. Someone was spinning on the ceiling fan. And, no, not really, but I mean, it was just chaos. And uh, everyone leaves. We go to put Judah in bed. It was pristine. In fact, not only were, were the toys put back in the little cubbies, they were categorized in cubbies, all thanks to little Lexi Steele, I'm guessing, because she's a first child, and that's what first children do. <laughs> But, I mean, she didn't have to do that. Think genuinely. She didn't. And, and in fact, we go, and, and we, we, we go into Judah's closet, and all of his shoes were lined up along the wall. I'm like, Judah's never done that before. I'll tell you that much. Going beyond what you have to do and showing Christ just doing what you can do way more than anyone would ever expect from you. This displays Christ. Just in general, looking at the whole picture of Matthew 5, 38 through 42, these verses here, this concept of responding to people with grace, not hate, that whole concept, this shows us the heart and the work of our Savior. More than anything, I want you to see Jesus reflected in these verses. 
He endured so much when he went to the cross. Pulled his hair, called him names, beat him, killed him. All for my salvation. All because he was generous for you. And not only was he taken advantage of and wrongfully treated then, but guys, it's worse than that. You and I, the recipients of his kindness, are the ones who still slap him in the face every day. We take from him and we abuse his grace. And he loves his people. He loves his people. He loves you. So let us mirror the, mirror the grace of Christ today. When you're wronged, when you're hurt, when you're misrepresented, when you're maligned and your reputation is in question because of somebody else, when you're taken advantage of, show Christ. Show Christ. And always remember that enduring injustice and suffering through it alongside Christ is a privilege, not just a burden. I'll finish with reading Philippians 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. What a privilege it is. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.